This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit! Browns are going to win! Mayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. Everybody, welcome back to Cover 2 podcast on the Cleveland Browns. This is Dan Kadar, joined by Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich. Nate, how have you been? I've been good and busy, Dan. Like the first practice of training camp, or at least the first full squad practice of training camp isn't until Wednesday. You know, all the veterans won't be there until Tuesday. That's the reporting date for everyone to show up. Rookies and quarterbacks are already there. But the reason I'm saying this is, it feels like training camp has already started. It's been it's been pretty hectic. I mean, Baker Mayfield youth football camp last uh, Wednesday, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. youth football camp on Sunday. We're recording on Monday afternoon. So, like two of the biggest name players have already talked on the eve of training camp, and you know, Browns headquarters has a new uh, name, uh, special 75th anniversary. Uniforms were unveiled just a little bit after midnight over the weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, whatever day, day that was, Saturday. Um, yeah, it's it's been pretty crazy already, and it, it's uh, about to get a lot more intense here soon. Yeah, and I I was going to start the podcast off by saying welcome back from summer vacation, but I don't think you I don't think you got one because that that's a lot of stuff and. In addition to all of that, um, there's the news story about Jeremiah Wusukormoe. He's on the reserve COVID-19 list. So, Nate, on on this podcast, we are we're going to do a training camp preview, but I I do kind of want to start there real quick, just because it's kind of the news of of the week so far. So he's he's on the reserve list. What does that mean in terms of training camp and how delayed this this rookie is going to be starting training camp will he be a participant to what what how does this go now for well, a player it, on the I, I, it's really complicated because you know your your return to duty depends on whether you're vaccinated or not whether you're symptomatic or not so there's like four questions right there um or four potential answers. And he tweeted today that he's not symptomatic. Um, but also by tweeting that, there's the implication that he did test positive and he's not just a close contact of somebody who had been infected with the virus. The team isn't disclosing any of these things, you know, what the vaccination status of the player is, uh, whether he tested positive, whether he's a close contact. So, the good news is if he is asymptomatic as he tweeted, then, you know, there there might be a, um, a chance for him to get back sooner. But but it could be the 10-day the, the minimum. You know, if, he, if you're not vaccinated, um, 
you know, it could be that 10 day minimum. If you are vaccinated and, and asymptomatic and you, you then you can come back after two negative test results separated by 24 hours. So there's a there's a wide range of possibilities here. Uh, and we just we don't know exactly. But, you know, I would say if he's saying he's asymptomatic, that that's good news. Bottom line, you know, especially because he he was flagged for a heart condition right uh, you know before the draft and the browns were comfortable with it uh he was comfortable with it and they didn't view it as any big deal but you know you, you obviously don't want somebody who um you know had that medical question pop up you know obviously getting really sick with covid19 and you know all the things that the people have experienced with the virus so i think it's good news that he tweeted he said he's feeling fine, thanking people for the well wishes and, you know, asymptomatic. So I know that there's not a specific concrete answer there about, hey, when is this guy going to get on the practice field? Because we really don't know. There's a lot of factors and mm-hmm. uh, we'll have to see. But I will say that, you know, the way this goes, Dan, with, with quarterbacks and rookies reporting Saturday to training camp, they tested uh, Saturday and you know, obviously he was put on the COVID list Sunday. So uh, like the vast majority of the team is going to report on Tuesday. So I'm saying this to say we're not out of the woods yet here with all those guys, the veteran, the rest of the veterans, the non-quarterback veterans showing up Tuesday. They're going to be tested for COVID-19 then. And then we'll find out Wednesday um, who, if any, you know, guys are, are placed on the COVID list before the first practice of training camp, the first full scale, first full squad practice of training camp Wednesday afternoon. So, yeah, I, the idea that, hey, the vaccines are here and, you know, there's just not going to be that issue. That's far from the truth. I mean, players are going to miss practices. Players are going to miss games. Like Kevin Stefanski's Uh, emphasized last year the teams that handle the protocols the best are going to be in an advantage and the Browns had some up and downs with those protocols obviously they did have their entire receiving core wiped out for that penultimate regular season game against the Jets they ended up losing to a team with with one win heading into the game they could clinch a playoff spot right there as we know um, they had to win the next week in the finale against the Steelers to get in. So it did get a little dicey there. I'm just reiterating all this because it's far from, uh, you know, an issue of the past. Yeah. Well, since since this is an issue that is, it, it's prevalent now with training camp started and just the, the state of where we're at in, in the country with uh, cases going back on the rise again, unfortunately. Um, there, there was a report today, I think by Peter King, like the Buccaneers or the Steelers, they're, they're wearing different wristbands, you know, for players who are vaccinated and players who are unvaccinated. Have you gotten any indication the Browns are going to be doing the same type of thing? I think that's kind of weird ethically speaking, just, just personally, I think that's a little weird. Um, but it, is, is that good? Like, do you think the Browns are going to do that? What do you make of how these teams are are kind of being forced to tackle this issue now that the NFL is kind of saying, look, if if a game gets canceled and it can't be rescheduled, you're you're out. You you lose. 
you lose money, um, the, the whole thing. It, it's taken quite a, a serious turn here. And now players are, you know, kind of being separated based on if, if they're vaccinated or not vaccinated with, with wristbands. What, what do you think of all that? Do you think the Browns will do the same thing? I don't know if the Browns will because we haven't been out there for practices or talked to Kevin Stefanski about it. I know the NFLPA is against it. I know J.C. Treader put an essay or a column or an op-ed, whatever you want to call it, out on the NFLPA's website today. And um, basically, you know, he went through a bunch of kind of talking points, no no major news or anything, but just his thoughts on kind of the state of the pandemic, how the league's treated it with recent memos and things like that that he's not happy with. And he does not like this wristband policy. I would be interested to hear from the league why the wristband policy makes sense to them. Like the medical staffs, the coaching coaching staffs, like they're going to know who's vaccinated and who's not. So, you know, I do think and agree with you that it is a little weird to have wristbands. Um, you know, I'm fully vaccinated. I got vaccinated as soon as I could in the spring. Um, I think people... Um, you know, who can get vaccinated should, but, you know, that's obviously up to everybody. And, uh, you know, the wristband thing, it, it just, it is a little funky, but, um, you know, I think the information's already there. The team knows. So th- that's the reason why I don't really get it. Um, but what if, if one of the athletic trainers or one of the team doctors has a reasonable explanation that I'm just missing, like off the top of my head, like I, I would be interested to hear it. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know about the Browns. I will say this, Dan. Uh, I <laughs> I noticed the Browns put out some photos kind of on the down low on their on their website. To my knowledge, they didn't like tweet them out or anything. But there are photos from the on field work that the quarterbacks and the rookies got Sunday. And mm-hmm. so I went on there specifically to look for the wristband you're talking about, because, <laughs> you know, I think the Steelers and, you know, some other teams or at least one other team is doing it. I, I read today uh, with the wristbands and and I could not detect in the photos um, like a colorful, bright colored wristband on on Brown's players. And maybe they're all photos of vaccinated players. Um, maybe they just aren't doing the wristbands at all. So. Well, That's as far as my investigation has gone at this point, here's here's where my brain goes with that. And I, I swear we will get into training camp talk after this. My my brain goes to. The, the teams know who is vaccinated and not vaccinated. Yes. However, I I would guess the coaches aren't remembering that, you know, like if you're the wide receivers coach of the, the Steelers. Are you remembering, okay, I, I know what Juju Smith-Schuster is because he's he's our star guy, but when you get down to like the sixth or seventh or fifth or eighth receiver who's trying to make the team, do you know who is vaccinated and not vaccinated? My guess would be the coach in most instances wouldn't know just, you know, because they, they have so much going on and it's why why would they want to take up their brain with, with that kind of knowledge. So my feeling is like the, the coaches are going to be watching these players. And if say players six and seven are both on the bubble, does the tie go to the dude who's wearing the vaccinated wristband? And that that's where it gets weird for me. Um, and that that's, 
I, I kind of feel like that's more some of the point of the wristband than than anything else. I don't know. You made you kind of I, I don't you got you put my mind somewhere that, that made <laughs> it make a little more sense and and saying that okay if we can't keep track of these ninety guys like you know because the star players will know but maybe we're not going to know the you know bottom. 15, 20 off the top of our heads, everybody in the building is a coaching staff, is a um, player support staff, is a front office. And the protocols are different for vaccinated and unvaccinated players. So if you see a guy with a colorful wristband walking through the facility after practice without a mask on, he's supposed to have it on. Then you can say, hey, put that mask on. So, you know, that you just made me think of that. That's some scenario. So I don't know. I mean, it. it <laughs> All I know is the union doesn't like it, and on the surface, it does seem a little odd, but, you know, maybe there are, uh, you know, uh, some advantages to doing it. So I'd be interested to see, uh, you know, if we get out there on Wednesday, if there are Browns players who have those wristbands on. Yeah. Hey, you're going from the Odell Beckham sneaker watch to the Browns player wristband watch in 2021. So... Uh, that, that's where we're at now, but training camp does start this week for the Cleveland Browns, and that, that's really what we wanted to talk about today. Um, Nate has a incredible write-up over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns, and it is 21 points about training camp. Now, if you're like me and you've kind of been like, too busy with life and work to know every detail of what's been going on with the Browns leading up to training camp. I I cannot vouch for this, this write-up from Nate enough. It, it's wonderful analysis, and he hits on literally every single topic you need to know about Browns training camp. So check that out, but we're going to cover some of it here. So, Nate, going, going into training camp this year is different because the Browns are good now. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff to, to pick apart, injury stuff, new players, rookies, all that kind of stuff. But if you were to pick out the biggest question that needs to be answered at training camp this year, what would it be? Well, biggest question, I think – most people, I'm going to give you what most people will tell you, the status of Odell Beckham Jr., you know, um, is he going to be ready for week one? Um, how's the chemistry coming along with Baker Mayfield? How's he look coming back from the torn ACL? I'm going in a different direction because that's a huge storyline. It's a huge question. Uh, the arrow is up, obviously, on all of those based on what we saw um, this offseason, you know, especially with him getting out there in mandatory minicamp and talking to him yesterday and hearing him describe how he feels and where his mind is. What I'm saying supersedes that is, hey, he's a superstar player, but we've got like an entire side of the ball that is almost completely new, and that's the defense. So I think the number one thing about training camp for the Browns this year is, what does the defense look like? Like, how are they going to play? Are they going to be able to um, gel? Um, are they going to be able to give the versatility and speed Joe Woods wants to run those nickel and dime packages and be heavy dime? Uh, how are several position battles going to pan out on defense? 
Um, you know, are there really going to be nine new starters in week one against the Kansas City Chiefs uh, compared with week one last year against the Baltimore Ravens? Or are some of those guys going to some of those incumbents going to hold off some of the newcomers? Um, you know, how are some of the key players who were out for medical reasons on defense last year going to fare in this camp and preseason? How do they look? Similar question to the Odell question, but you're talking about Jadavian Clowney, uh, the big free agent splash, obviously coming off a season in which he missed eight games with the Tennessee Titans because of torn meniscus and had surgery December 6th. You're talking about Andrew Billings, who they'd like to be a starting defensive tackle, opted out last year uh, due to COVID-19 concerns, has asthma, didn't want to do it, um, you know, with with the idea that the virus would really give him a hard time uh, because of his medical condition. Uh, you're talking about Greedy Williams coming back from a missed year uh, with nerve damage in his shoulder, trying to hold off rookie cornerback Greg Newsome for a starting role opposite Denzel Ward. You're talking about a second round pick that the Browns had tremendously high hopes for and thought could be a key to running that dime package last year that they got to sell them use, partly and in, in, in largely because he got hurt in camp with that uh, ruptured Achilles, and that's Grant Delpit. Is he going to be back? Is he going to look good? Um, yeah, back, but how back? How to what extent? You know, so these are these are huge questions. Um, and really, when you think about the way last season went and the offense really, um, you know, rounding into a strong form on the second half of the season, Baker Mayfield playing well, all this without Odell, by the way, um, the defense was by far the number one question. And and really the reason that I think, you know, I pointed to you pointed to Dan and a lot of people point to and say, well, yeah, this is a nice, successful season. The Browns best in 26 years, but. They're not going to go the distance this year because there's just too many holes on defense. So they think they plugged them. Andrew Barry, obviously, with a, a makeover of that side of the ball in the offseason. So that's where I think the number one focus is and in, in several of the main questions lie. You know, I, I think you're right there. The, the, he, the big headlines are always going to be nationally about Odell Beckham. But locally, I, I do think it's the defense issue and specifically – Man, I, I am super intrigued by Greg Newsome. It, it seems like, you know, it, every week that goes by around this time of year, you just kind of, as a fan, you just squeeze any little bit of information you can take. You know, it's like you're in a desert and you'll take any drop of water. And it seems like Greg Newsome, over the summer, it seems like people are just speaking more and more glowingly about him about how he is as a player, a person, his mentality, and all that kind of stuff. I I am fascinated to see the, the training camp battle between he and Greedy Williams and just him in general. Like, I know he was the 26th pick, but the, the way people are starting to talk about him a little bit, I don't know, man. I, I'm super excited about Greg Newsom. That, that's if I were going to training camp, I would, I would find a spot by the defensive backs, or for the for the entirety of a practice session and just watch those guys, and and Newsom specifically. Going into camp, do you think it's a 50-50 race? Do you think Greedy has the advantage because he's the veteran at this point? 
Um, or do you think Greg Newsom is just a better player? Where where do you stand on where that race is entering training camp? I can't definitively say Greg Newsom the second's a better player than Gary Williams because Greg Newsom hasn't played a down in the NFL, and I've been burned before thinking, hey, because a guy's a first round pick, he's going to win that job. Um, I do lean that way, but I I need to see more. So we will find out, and that is the main event. As uh, as we look at these position battles, there's a lot of them. The rest are on the undercard for me. The main event is Greedy Williams versus Greg Newsom because of how important cornerback is and the guys involved. We're talking about Greedy Williams, a 2019 second-round pick. Greg Newsom, a first-round pick in this year's draft. Big investments in those guys with draft capital. So, yeah, to me, that is the number one position battle to watch. And I... Just heading in on paper, I do give the edge to, to Greg Newsom, but I don't want to get burned and say he's a better player than Greedy Williams when he hasn't played yet. Now, here's the thing. The reason why I say Newsom has the advantage, the edge, however you know, big or small that edge may be, I think it's just basic logic, okay? Greg Newsom drafted by this regime, Greedy Williams not. Um, they were thrilled to Greg to get Greg Newsom. Remember how much we talked about those top four corners in the draft. He fell to them yep. and, and they loved him and he was their guy and they got him. And 3D Williams, not only does he have to, to fight a guy picked by this regime uh, with a first round selection, but he's got to battle his own health, his own shoulder. And we don't know how it's going to go for him when the live hitting begins. Uh, you know, he was a full participant in the mandatory mini camp. And, you know, spring practices, OTAs, but there's no hitting. And so the hitting's going to come up here in about a, you know, a week. Um, they've got that on-field five-day acclimation period now built into the CBA to begin training camp. But after that, the players get a day off and then the live contact practices begin. And that's going to be the real test for Greedy. So I just think that Greedy has an uphill battle because he's fighting back from an injury, needs that shoulder to hold up. And there's question marks there plus the competition he's going against in a first-round pick who's just drafted by, you know, this GM and this regime, whereas Greedy Williams was picked by John Dorsey. So that's the logic I'm looking at when I say that Greg Newsom has the advantage heading in. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, we, we do have to talk Odell some because he did just – he spoke to the media on Sunday – it was a very short session, or was it just over five minutes or so, Nate? But yeah, it, better than nothing is what I would say. But tell me if I'm wrong in, in my feeling here. For mini camp, I got pretty excited about Odell Beckham and where he's at in his rehab from a torn ACL. Um, all reports where he. You know, not not many camp necessarily, maybe more so like the, his training videos or whatever, that he just looks pretty good, explosive. The Odell Beckham, you you hope to see. My wrong thinking, he pumped the brakes a little bit when he spoke on Sunday, talking about like, you know, I'll be ready when I'm ready and I'm running my own race. And, you know, whether it's week one or week 17 or whatever, am I crazy that I'm personally pumping the brakes some on, on Odell Beckham and my expectations of what he can offer at least in training camp? Uh, you can you can slightly pump the brakes, I think, um, just because 
I mean, they're going to be smart about it. They don't need him to play a snap in the preseason. They don't need him out there in the joint practices. I've written about this. Like, they they hope that they can get him to a point where he trusts that knee as much as possible by week one, September 12th, and can play against the Chiefs. And, you know, from everything I've seen, those videos you're talking about, seeing him in mandatory minicamp, how he was running around, how he's cutting, and – what Jarvis Landry's observations were about when they got together with Baker Mayfield and Austin, Texas, and how Odell looked even better than he was last year in some ways in the way he was moving. And, you know, just hearing Odell say that everything feels great. Like, I think that all signs point to him being ready for week one, but he's got to get through it, right? He's got to get through the camp, and he has to respond well, and we'll see. I think his point is like, hey, in the past, and he said this too yesterday, Dan, like, in the past, I've gotten caught up in trying to be manly and have the fastest comeback ever. But really, what's that accomplishing? Like, I think he's trying to convey that he is being smarter about this comeback than he had been about others in his earlier in his career. Let's not forget, he he shattered an ankle. Those are his words. Shattered an ankle, had to have surgery. 2017, uh, member of the Giants at the time. He had the core muscle surgery. Um, you know, after his first season with the Browns. So he's been through surgeries before. Um, and his point is he's just not going to rush it back. So I, he, he doesn't want to put a guarantee on it. And I don't blame him because, you know, he's like I said, he's got to get out on the field and get through a camp. And these camps are, are you know, they're marathons. And the Browns are going to be smart about him. And, and they're probably going to try to change change that, like, Hey, it's it's going to be a marathon for a lot of guys. It's going to be more like a, a 10K for Odell. So we'll see how he feels after that. And, um, you know, I think that's where his mind is. And and really, he you know, he's focused on, from listening to him yesterday, it's not just about the knee. It's about, you know, handling the mental side of the comeback really well. Uh, he's really focused on that. Um, and... You know, I just don't think he wants to be kind of painted in a corner by media or coaches or team doctors or anybody else about this comeback. He wants to do it on his terms. He wants to be fully comfortable with it. And that's the way he knows he's going to perform the best and be happy as well. And I think that's important because, you know, physically healthy Odell, great. But you need a happy Odell, a focused Odell. You know, an Odell who is all in on what you're trying to do to get the best out of him. And I think that that's where his mindset is right now. Yesterday, he talked about, you know, the individual success is not his top priority right now. At this point in his career, it's about getting one of those rings. So I thought that was really good to hear. Um, I thought the attitude and vibe from him was really positive yesterday. And if you want to slightly pump the brakes on, you know, the timing of the comeback, um, that's fair because he's not making any guarantees, but I also don't think you need to like panic or, you know, sound the alarm that he's not going to be playing, uh, against the chiefs. You know, I think that, like I said, all signs, uh, just from watching him, listening to other things he said, uh, point to him doing everything he can to be ready, but doesn't want to put a guarantee on it. And I don't blame him. And I, I, in fairness, I did love what he had to say about the, the playoff game last year. You know, just the mentality of, man, imagine if Odell Beckham was on the field for just one play against the Chiefs. You know, could he have popped a, 
a big play? Could he have done something in that game like he did against the Cowboys last year when he was just incredible? Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting. I, I honestly, I was hoping we we would have heard more from from Odell Beckham, but five or six questions uh, was the extent of it. Again, there's coverage of that over at BeaconJournal.com slash sports slash Browns. Yeah, he still gave me two headlines in five minutes. <laughs> That's yeah. the nature of Odell talking. Yeah, I mean, he, he's always good. Uh, it's just a matter of how much uh, you get him. So uh, that that was good stuff. So that that's up over there now. The stuff about Jeremiah Wusu Cormo is up there now. And I'm sure Nate's going to be uh, doggedly following that story as it develops this week. What else, Nate? As we as we go into training camp, are are you kind of really paying attention to the most? Well, you know, obviously some of the position battles on defense, aside from the cornerback job opposite Denzel Ward, really interests me. Like linebacker is really interesting. Um, you know, I think Anthony Walker Jr. is the middle linebacker. You know, at this point, it'd be a huge upset if he's not the starting middle linebacker. He's probably going to be calling the plays for the defense. Um, I think he's going to be on the field a ton. Andrew Berry thinks he's one of the fastest linebackers in the NFL. Speed was such an emphasis when it came to this remodeling of the defense. So who's going to be with him? Like, who's going to be with him in the base defense? Who's going to be with him in sub packages? Like, those are the big questions. And I think Jeremiah Usakoromo is the easy answer because they traded up to get him in the second round. They thought he easily could have been a first-round pick. Almost everybody involved in the you know NFL draft talk and coverage uh, thought that he was going to be a first-round pick. Um Joe Woods said it felt like they had two first round picks when they walked away uh, from the, you know, second night of the draft, knowing they had Greg Newsom the second and Jeremiah Usakormo. But like we already uh, laid out, you know, his start is going to be a little bit delayed to camp here uh, because of the COVID-19 list that he landed on. And you got other guys. You got Jacob Phillips, you know, a third round pick from last year. Sione Takitaki, you know, a guy who started uh, last year's strong side linebacker, Mac Wilson, a guy who started at weak side linebacker last year until, you know, late in the season, he gets benched for Jacob Phillips. But Mac Wilson, the thing with him is he was dealing with a knee injury, he had the hyperextended knee in training camp and was never himself. I talked about him recently, wrote a story kind of where his head is heading into the camp because I think he's really interesting. I don't think you can find many guys who have as high a ceiling for what they could mean to the team this year and also as lo- a low floor at the same time like I think there's a chance he could enter the season as a starting weak side linebacker and I think there's also a chance where he's on the bubble fighting to make the team like <laughs> there's such a big range for him so I think yep. he's really interesting especially because of the backdrop of what he d- dealt with last year with the knee injury not being healthy throughout the season or fully healthy but coming back playing a, a a good amount, then getting benched, you know, then he gets in there, and uh, you know, in the the final game, the divisional round loss to the Chiefs, and you know he's remembered for that hit on Patrick Mahomes, and Mahomes' mom and Travis Kelsey took exception to it, accused him of being dirty. It was just a very eventful year. Don't forget the day before he suffered that hyperextended knee in training camp, he hits Nick Chubb high uh in 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 practice chubb gets a concussion like it just 
it was such an eventful year for Mac Wilson. It was strange for everyone with COVID, but there was a lot going on with Mac Wilson. So I caught up with him about that. I'm just really interested in that and that linebacker uh, group. And, you know, I think that, you know, they also re-signed Malcolm Smith, a guy who's their best coverage corner last year. And and they drafted another guy who reminds them of JOK, a smaller hybrid type linebacker they think fits on the weak side in their system. And Tony Fields missed all spring practices, uh, wore a walking boot, had a foot injury. But he's back on the field on Sunday for some of that on-field work that the rookies and quarterbacks got. So I think linebackers pretty wide open after Anthony Walker Jr., um, you know, JOK is going to be the answer, but it's just a matter of, is he going to be the answer right away or is somebody going to hold him off for a little bit? And if somebody's going to hold him off, is it Jacob Phillips? Is it Mac Wilson? You know, the Sione Taki Taki keep his spot on the strong side or is Jacob Phillips block, you know, knock him out of that? Like there's a lot of ways that, you know, this linebacking core could shake out. Really interesting. That defensive tackle, very interesting. The Billings and Malik Jackson look like the starters. They were in the number one spots in, in the spring. But, you know, Tommy Togiai, fourth-round pick, um, you know, this year, a rookie. And you got Jordan Elliott, a third-round pick last year, who I know the defensive line coach, uh, Chris Kiffin, is really uh, excited about. So, you know, our our – Jackson and Billings going to get a push from those guys. And then there's a bunch of interesting depth guys too, like Malik McDowell and, you know, Damian Square, a longtime NFL veteran, um, you know, a, a, an undrafted rookie, Marvin Wilson, that I know the coaching staff is excited to get. So like, are they going to keep five D tackles or, you know, the, the, the idea that um, they've just got so many D tackles and, and they might actually keep one than they, they normal one more than they normally do is interesting. And like, what does that fight look like? And it's safety. Like John Johnson, the third was the biggest free agent investment they made. Like they're going to count on him to be on the field all the time, but who's going to be the other starter when they have two safeties on the field? Is it going to be Grant Delpit? Is his Achilles going to you know, hold up well enough? Is he going to be fully ready to do that, to take on that load? Or or Ronnie Harrison, who played well after they drafted him last year, dealt with some injuries, but still made some plays and, and looks really good, looked really good in the spring. Looked, looked, looked like one of those guys who got in great shape. And Joe Woods said so. Um, you know, they want to use all three of those guys in a lot of packages, but when there's only two on the field, like how's that playing time shake out? So like, I'm very interested in all those position battles on defense. And the number three wide receiver is the one that I'm looking at on offense because we know Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. Like, that's that's a no-brainer. But, you know, after that is Rashard Higgins, you know, who really, based on the production last season, would be the guy. But, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, a six-round pick last year, had a promising rookie year, looked really good in training camp. Uh, Baker Mayfield was really impressed with him. Uh, another guy kind of like Ronnie Harrison, when I talk about guys who just you, they, you come in to the spring practices, you're looking around at the guys and, whoa, that guy got, you know, bigger, faster, stronger in the offseason. That's what Donovan Peoples-Jones looked like to me. And, you know, you obviously drafted Anthony Schwartz in, in the third round, want his speed on the field. But he was dealing with a hamstring injury in, in the spring and, and didn't do much other than rookie minicamp. Uh, he got on the field, you know, Sunday for that on-field work I mentioned earlier, just like Tony Fields. So, I mean, there's a lot going on there, not to mention Kaderil Hodge is back, and he entered last season as the number three receiver. So there's some royal rumbles at several positions. You throw a bunch of bodies in there and see who comes out. 
Yeah, I, I'm sorry, the, the Royal Rumble thing gets me every time. Um, the Look, the, the, the fact of the matter is some of these players you just mentioned, um, they're, they're going to be the, the casualty of the numbers game. And there's, there's going to be some players that, and that this is what happens with good teams, which the Browns are now. There are guys who are either going to be cut or traded or you say, wow, really, that guy. So, you know, the, these are the important dates to know. The Browns' first cut down is August 24th. That's where they have to get down to 80. And then on August 31st, they have to get down to 53. So, you know, those, those are kind of some of the key points where we're going to see some action on how these position battles are playing out, I think. Um don't be shocked if, if some of the guys Nate just mentioned are not on the Browns, despite them being good players. You know, like all the linebackers you went through, to me, are NFL linebackers. I don't think there's space on the roster for all those guys. Um, the wide receiver one is is fascinating to me. I, I really like Donovan Peoples-Jones. I think he's a player. I think Rashard Higgins is a good player for the Browns. I think the, the coaching staff likes, um, now his name's skipping me. Kadero uh, Hodge. Yeah, Kadero Hodge, sorry. Uh, yeah. Obviously, they just took Schwartz. I don't know if all, all of those guys can make the roster. Just from a numbers standpoint, it's going to be tough. So it's it's a it's a way different training camp that we're going into with the Cleveland Browns this year. Um, it's a giant, incredibly talented roster that has to be cut down somehow. And it's that, that to me as the big picture thing is, is the takeaway how the Browns get to 53 on August 31st, they have a month to do it basically. So how they get there you know, Nate is going to have full coverage of all training camp and preseason. So there's going to be a lot of twists and turns here starting Wednesday when training camp begins. Nate, do you have anything else this week before we before we head out? You know, obviously, um, Baker Mayfield uh, is, is a guy that you know, he's the starting quarterback. Everybody's going to be interested in, in, in him and, and, and watching him and seeing just how he's commanding things. And I I do want to mention this before we go. Got to talk to him last Wednesday, um, you know, at his youth football camp. And I asked him about something Alex Van Pelt said at the at the end of mandatory minicamp, and that's that, that Baker looked more confident and, you know, you could just see it in the way that he was carrying himself in mandatory minicamp, coming off a really strong finish to the uh, 2020 season. And I asked Baker, like, you know, how does that help you take more ownership of the offense? And he said it, it definitely does in, in that he thinks all of the coaches and player, players noticed how much more confident he was in mandatory minicamp. And and, you know, comfortable in the system and everything. So I just think the continued 
kind of growth of, of Baker Mayfield um, with Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt. You know, just the idea that he is getting um, the same head coach and the same playbook for, you know, two seasons in a row for the first time in his NFL career and kind of what that looks like, what kind of growth uh, and evolution we can see on offense as a result. And I think it can manifest it manifest itself in, in, in a few different ways. And we might get glimpses of it in training camp. We might not. Maybe they don't want to show that hand. But, you know, I just think that we could see more three receiver sets than we did last year. I think we could see more of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on the field together uh, than we did last season. The creativity that can stem from that, you know, obviously Freddie Kitchens was a one and done coach and had a disastrous time um, here in 2019. But if you want to say some of the things that Freddie did well, right there at the top of the list is his use of, of Chubb and Hunt together when Hunt came off suspension uh, in 2018 and, you know, just the creativity that, that that spurred. So I think that's something. And I think, you know, the use of vertical threats, you know, the Browns, you know, they wanted to use Jojo Natson as kind of a gadget guy last year, a guy who could be a vertical threat occasionally uh, got hurt torn ACL in week three. Uh, obviously Odell Beckham Jr. can do so much, including, you know, those bubble screens and the, the jet sweeps and take the top off the defense. And they think Anthony Schwartz can certainly contribute with his world-class speed in those ways. Um, you know, that even if even if you're not getting the chunk plays from the, the guy, you know, posing the vertical threat, just the spacing it creates is a big deal for the rest of the offense. So, you know, I think that's part of the evolution. And then tempo. I think tempo could be something we see more from the Browns and, you know, Baker Mayfield's background, obviously in it, uh, going back to his days at Oklahoma makes you think that it, you know, that could open up a little bit more. So I, I am interested in, in Mayfield, uh, his confidence, uh, how he parlays a successful, you know, second half, especially of 2020 into this season and, and what it means for the offense uh, as a whole with him being back with Stefanski and Van Pelt. Those are things I'm looking for and trying to find signs of more signs of that in training camp, what that can all look like. And before we go real quick, Dan, um, you got the wheels turning here on the wristband thing. I told you I looked at photos and things like that. I text the Browns uh, while we uh, were recording asking mm-hmm. if they know they're going to do the wristband thing. And the answer I got back was, I don't know. So there was due diligence done. It would be interesting though. Uh, to see the Browns do that wristband thing when their starting center, who's the president of NFLPA, just, you know, condemned it today in a, in a column on the union website. So that might, if they thought they were going to do it, that might dissuade them. But whatever. We talked enough about the wristband that I just wanted to follow up on it. No, I love it. You're, look, we're, you're working news while we're recording a podcast. You can't ask for anything else. What other, what other, podcast covering any NFL team anywhere digs out news and gets it while they're recording. Nobody. That, that's all you're going to get here on. <laughs> well, it would have been better if I had a yes or no, but we're still stuck where we were earlier. <laughs> a response is a response, but I, I think you're right with the, the JC Treader factor uh, and, and how that, that plays into it because I, I think we saw that with Minicamp too. So 
Yeah, I mean, he got uh, pretty much all the big names on offense, then nearly the entire starting offense to stay away from OTAs. Yeah. You know, so if he doesn't like the wristband, it's probably not going to fly. Right. Yeah. So, look, man, I just wanted to to toot the horn a little bit there. All right. Um, Well, you know. Yeah. But, you know. But I can put a hot headline on this now. Breaking news on the Cover Two podcast. Listen through the whole yeah. thing. To find yeah. out what it was. We have we don't know, but <laughs> we tried to find out. <laughs> I'll take it. So that that is going to do it for for the podcast for now. Um, again, you can find all of Nate's stuff over at BeaconJournal.com/sports/Browns. There's, there's a lot up there. Like I said, the 21 points to ponder entering 2021 training camp is an incredible read. If you need to, if you need a quick catch up on the Browns, that is very worthwhile. And Nate wrote it in a very uh, easy to read format. It, it's numbered. It's by topics. It's really good. Um, I like that a lot. There's more information on Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. There's a the, the two headlines on Odell Beckham and the video, if, if you want to watch that. Um, Mac Wilson's story is really good. 75th anniversary uniforms is uh, uh, whatever. Um, I, Nate, why did the Browns put that out at 12.05 on a Saturday morning? What's up with that? <laughs> well, I... I from what I could gather, they really want people to download their mobile app. Oh. That was the whole thing. It was like, we're going to put it on our mobile app, and if you want to see the uniforms in like a midnight madness fashion, you have to download the mobile app. Because they didn't – it was like an exclusive unveiling on that app. It wasn't like on their website or social media. It was on that app specifically. And then there were other promotions tied to downloading the app that you could get by going to the pro shop, so on and so forth. They're all about the app. And I noticed that um, they're also the, – the app is a focus for their marketing team, mm. not just the Browns app. But I noticed that, you know, the Browns <clears> – <throat> one of the stories on the website is that they're going to have 13 practices open to fans, fans coming back for the first time since the COVID shutdown, um, yeah. you know, back to practices in Berea. And, but one of those practices is going to be – in Cleveland on the lakefront at First Energy Stadium, there's going to be a uh, August 8th, um, you know, it's going to be that orange and brown practice at the stadium. And I noticed that one of the things they tied in with that is I think the um, whenever the gates open, uh, maybe like at 11, um, the, and I don't know, let me make sure I don't mess this up. I think the gates open at 11 and here, I'm typing in here. Yeah, gates are scheduled to open 11, okay, an hour before the practice, supposed to start at noon. But get this, Dan. If you download the Pilot Flying J My Rewards Plus app and you <laughs> show it at uh, one of the, the northeast or northwest gates, you you will be granted early entry, which begins at 1030. Wow. And it's general admission seating in the lower bowl that the upper levels are going to be closed. Mm. So if you get there and you got that Pilot Flying J My Rewards Plus app, you can get in there at 10.30 a.m. Beat the rest of the fans who don't have that app downloaded. They're not going to be able to 
get into 11 a.m., you got a half hour head start to get your seat of choice in the lower bowl. So wow. see, the apps are a big deal right now. That's a hot tip. I like that. Um, and I, I got to tell you, the the thing I did before we started recording today, I downloaded the Browns mobile app, and I, I swear we're not doing a read or an ad. <laughs> it's just getting out of hand. <laughs> um, but I downloaded it because their website said if you want to get tickets to go to training camp, you have to get them through the app. Well, yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the big one, right? There's no more paper printouts. It's all through the you can you can register through the app or online on their website, but then the tickets, uh, right. from what the Browns have told me, the, all the tickets come through the app. So yeah, that's what it looks um, like. So now you, what your job is when we get done is start like racking your brain how you can get people to download the Beacon Journal app um, and what creative fun ways and perks they can get um, because the Browns are just dominating the app game right now. Well. I'll say this, anybody who has listened this long, if you present me with evidence that you have the Beacon Journal app downloaded on your phone, I, hmm, what will I do? <laughs> I thought you had something. <laughs> I, I will, man, I'll get back to everybody on that. If yeah, you listen yeah. long enough and you have the app on your phone, Tweet at me. Uh, what am I? By Dan Kadar's fine. Um, and I'll, I'll think of something. I'll, I'll give you something. I'll, I'll think of something to give you. So do that. Tweet at me and, and we'll hook something up. So that but that's going to do it for our podcast today before I get myself into an even deeper hole here. So. Again, beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you happen to listen to it, too. But thank you very much for listening. Uh, Welcome back to football season. We'll talk to you next time.